to necessarily uh, lighten, I don't think. Uh, not a prophet. God could give us a, a stay for a while, but things seem to be coming together on the world scene uh, like never before in history. One day, a single individual will rise up with the answers and the world will flock to him. And for us, what does that mean? It means persecution. It means hardship. We are just... Jesus told his disciples when these things began to happen, these are the beginning of birth pains. I don't know what it all looks like from a, from a prophetic standpoint. But I do know that perilous times must come. And those times will test us. They will test our faith. They will test our love for Christ. I really don't see how we could go many more years under the kind of tyranny that we're seeing and under the kind of judgment that we're seeing from not only from a political standpoint but from a natural standpoint around the world. Found out this week that the country of Australia is locked down again, uh, particularly Victoria, New South Wales, locked down tight. $3,000 fines for anyone going outside of their homes. If you go, you have to have a card to show where you're going. What does that sound like? Sounds like Nazis, doesn't it? This is the very same thing that they're threatening with the COVID or vaccination passports in New York. I say all of that just to say don't be disheartened at the news. You listen to the news, you're going to be depressed and discouraged from some at least from some uh, in some level um, <clears throat> remember that these things must must happen and you know when you come to think about it when we see these things happening we're the most privileged of all people to live in a time when it does happen think about it the 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 second coming of Christ is right around the corner It's right around the corner. So lift up your eyes. Keep your heads up for the second coming of Christ. And just carry on. Be faithful. No matter what happens, be faithful. Protect your own. And just follow the Lord. All right. Well, let's turn to John chapter 1. Continue our study in this in this great gospel. It is without a doubt the most one of the most sovereign of all books of Scripture, and uh, we are seeing that more and more as we go through. We see it even today as we look from verses forty three through fifty one. We're going to this is the section we're going to be. In for the next few weeks. 
Verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found Him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What a great passage of Scripture this is. We have dissected and and expositioned this passage for many weeks now. And we come to another time of looking into it, tearing it apart unpacking it, if you will, to see what God says to us in it. We have the witness of Andrew and John as they followed Jesus and were taught by him. We see that they both, especially Andrew, from the record of Scripture, found their brothers and brought them to Jesus. There are now four disciples, Andrew, John, Peter, And James, most probably James has joined them. And they have been connected with him in these opening days of his pre-public ministry. Jesus is not yet started his public ministry. That doesn't happen until chapter 2 when he does his first miracle. This is is all pre-public ministry. Jesus calling certain ones. And then we find later that he calls more. So that brings us to verses, to verse 43, which we want to focus our attention on this morning. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Our narrative of these Events finds Jesus moving from the undisclosed place that he was staying on the east side of the Jordan where John was baptizing to Galilee. Now in the next few weeks and months as we continue on, as the Lord gives us the opportunity, we will be learning more and more about Galilee. Galilee was an area that uh, was well known to the Jews. 
but not well revered among the Jews. And this was, of course, where Jesus was from. And most most of his disciples were from Galilee. They were most all Galileans. And uh, so we'll be learning a lot about Galilee and the culture that is directly attributed to life as a Galilean. Much of scripture, much as particularly of the Gospels, we can learn a great deal if we understand the culture and, the, and life as it appeared in the first century in Galilee. So that we'll be heading in that direction as we get to much of this, particularly in chapter 2. Now we see in verse 43 that he decided, that is he desired, the word means to desire, to to want something. Uh, so he decided to go to Galilee. This was all at the Father's direction. Jesus never did anything that was not at the direction of his Father. In the power of his Spirit. And so, because there was a disciple there in, in Galilee that he would call to himself, Jesus made the trek to Galilee. And unlike Andrew and John and Peter and James, Jesus would go and find this disciple himself. Why? We're not told exactly. But his name was Philip. Philip. Now there are three other there are three other people named Philip in the New Testament, but this Philip is the only one who was an apostle of Christ. The other the other three were Philip the son of Herod the Great from a union with Cleopatra. And that Philip was the tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis. We find him mentioned in Luke chapter 3 verse 1. The second Philip was the son, also the son of Herod the Great, by Miriamne, his second wife. And if you'll recall, Herodias, the wife of Herod, Herod Antipas, was previously the wife of Philip. His brother. She left Philip, entered into an adulterous marriage to King Herod, to Herod Antipas, and uh, he was the one, of course, that killed John the Baptist. We find that in Luke and Matthew chapter 14. The third Philip was uh, a man who is known to us as Philip the Evangelist. He was the one who met the Ethiopian on the, on the road to Gaza at the instruction of the Holy Spirit. He was reading Isaiah 53. Philip asked him, did he understand what he was reading? He didn't understand. Philip preached Jesus to him. He was baptized there along in a, in a pond along the side of the road somewhere. And Philip then was supernaturally transported to another place. All of that we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 26 and following. 
Other than the list of disciples found in all of the synoptic gospels, John is the only one who mentions Philip otherwise. But what we see in John about this man Philip gives us a good idea of the faithful character and even some of the weaknesses of this disciple. It would appear that at this time in our text, which he says is the next day, Jesus went alone into Galilee. His other disciples, it appears, was not with him. They probably went back to their fishing businesses. Jesus searches out Philip by himself. Now, if you had, if you had have had the opportunity to speak to Philip about his salvation experience, about, uh, about the Savior, he might have said that he had found Jesus. That's what most people say, isn't it? I found Christ when I was 14 years old. Or I found Christ uh, at an evangelistic meeting. Or or I found Jesus uh, as I was. And then the story goes on and on and on. But you know what? The truth of the matter is that none of us found Christ. We weren't seeking for Him. Nobody seeks after God. Romans 3. He finds us. He searched for us. And so the truth of the matter is that whoever the Father draws to Jesus, Jesus finds. And He finds them all. He doesn't lose any of them. We see that in John 6 when we get there. If we're not all too old and can't hear well enough to get there. (laughs) we must never forget that it is the desire of Jesus to find and call people to himself the ones he finds are the ones that belongs to the father they belong to the father the father then gives them as gifts to the son John 17 verses 2 and 6 people do not naturally seek after Christ or come to Him for a couple of reasons. Number one, they cannot seek Him. They cannot come to Him. Jesus said in John six forty four, No one can come to Me unless the Father draws Him. No one. And two, they will not. Jesus said, You will not come to Me that you might have life. So it's not that they, just that they can't, it's that they won't. And you and I were no different. He chooses them, not the other way around. Jesus said to his disciples very clearly in John 15, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Hmm. You see, it's all about Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we could do or couldn't do. It's not about our will versus His will. It's about Him. 
It's extraordinary that there was no previous contact before this event by Philip or Jesus to each other. Did Jesus say anything to Philip before he called him and said to him, follow me? How did Jesus know who Philip would be? Having never seen him personally. Jesus received all of this information from his heavenly father and made plans. Get that. Made plans to go and find Philip in Galilee. Two two to three day journey. So you would... In that day, you would have to plan to make that kind of journey because it was it was on foot. There was no hopping in your car or getting on an airplane. You walked wherever you went. Most people could not afford to have a donkey or a, co- a, co- a cart, and certainly couldn't afford to have a horse. That was that was only for the very wealthy and for the Romans. There are those people among our Christian ranks who who feel that Christians should not make plans about doing anything. That they should be like sort of like proverbial soap bubbles floating around, flitting from here to there until they bump into something. I knew a fellow like that once. I was in Bible college out in California going to school at night. One day he showed up and said uh, he was leaving. I said, well, where are you going? He said, I don't know. I'm just going to go wherever the Lord leads me. He had a motorcycle and he had his pack on. He said, I'm just going to go. Whatever God has for me. Oh, well, that's kind of strange. I mean, where are you going to get your next meal? You're going to run out of money somewhere. I mean, don't, don't you have to plan? Yes, you do. You have to be willing to let God change your plans when you plan, but you still need to plan. And Jesus is planning here. In fact, Proverbs 16 verse 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. God can step into our plans and do whatever he wishes with them. Or he can use our plans and make them his own. I think the point here is that there is there is no distance that God will not do. Go. No obstacle that he will not remove. Nothing that he will not overcome to bring his elect people to himself. God has purposed to bring all of those he has chosen to Christ and not a single one will be left out. Isn't that a isn't that a wonderful truth? You don't have to you don't have to pray people or convince people or manipulate people into the kingdom. God's going to bring all of them into the kingdom through the gospel himself. Mary and I had an opportunity to uh, give the gospel to our next door neighbors uh, this past week. And we went, we went into the home and we sat down and, and as, as much as I knew how to give it, 
a lot of scripture, a lot of, and you know, we, we came away, we came away with, with questions. We, we, we wondered, and you know what we said to each other? The gospel will do the work. Do we believe that the gospel itself, by itself, will do what we can't do? You see, that's the problem with us. We think we've got to have other things to go with it. And we don't. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And how do they believe? They believe through the gospel proclamation. So we pray that that word, that gospel, will God will take and open hearts, break up stony places, and make hearts of flesh so that they can receive it and know Christ. That means that he will conquer any sin, no matter how terrible it may be, He will send His gospel to any place on earth, no matter how difficult it is to get there or to live there. He will defeat any condition or circumstance, no matter how hopeless or how helpless it may appear to be. He will send His gospel to any people group or any person on earth, no matter how shameful or wicked they may be. In other words, God will go the distance to save people. And he proved it by sending his son to seek and save the lost. John 19 verse 10, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. John 10 verse 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 10 John 18.37, for this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. When Jesus found Philip... We don't have a record of a long, drawn-out conversation. What we have record of is a command. Follow me. (laughs) Wow. Just two little words. Follow me. This is a deliberate encounter by Jesus... With a divine command from the Messiah to the one whom the Father had given to his Son. And it happens over and over and over like that every time a single individual is born again. His response of faith, Philip's response of faith, is not recorded, but it is evident and we see it. We see it like we saw in Andrew when he ran to find Philip and said, we've found the Messiah. The command to follow meant that Philip had to count the cost of following. Something that is not preached. 
in our day of modernity. Much of the gospel that is preached today eliminates the cost clause in it. Now, if you went to buy something of great value, what's the first thing that you're going to ask? What's this going to cost me? Well, it may cost you a lot of long, hard payments. Or it may cost you a lump sum that takes a big chunk out of your bank account. But we all want to know, what's it going to cost? And I'm here to tell you today that to follow Jesus will cost you everything. Everything. Not some things. Not part of what you have. It will cost you all of what you have and yourself. That's a different message, isn't it? You don't hear, you won't hear that on the health, wealth, and gospel, health, wealth, and gospel stations. So what does it mean? Well, it's very misunderstood, this word, this command, follow me. It's very misunderstood in our time. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it certainly means more than just trailing along behind someone. Jesus wasn't saying to Philip, hey, follow me, uh, you know, get in behind me. But he may have done that. But that wasn't what it meant. It is certainly an invitation, but it's more than an invitation. It is an irresistible directive. Get that? An irresistible directive given to Philip. It means that a person forsakes all that he has and all that he is to do the will of Christ. To follow Him. So the, so the disciple that follows has an inner desire to seek the things of God and to carry out all that God commands. The scriptures give us a detailed view of what that means and what that looks like to be a follower of Christ. So I've listed, listed several things. Uh, the first couple of these are, are a little longer than the others, but... Um, All of these things are true. So I started with the most obvious. And the most obvious is that it means to be a follower of Christ means you must die to yourself and to self-interest. You get that? This is the hardest one to deal with. Dying to self. The Apostle Paul said what? I die Daily. He was always dying to self. Why? Because self was always trying to assert itself above the will of Christ. You and I are no different. This is what Jesus meant in Luke chapter 9. Turn with me. I want you to look at these passages. Luke 9 verse 23. 
Luke 9, verse 23. Jesus speaking. He says, And He said to all, If anyone would come after Me, which is His way of saying, follow Me, if you want to follow Me, If you want to be my follower, be my disciple. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So the very first thing that following Jesus means is that we take up our cross and die on it to ourselves. That means we have to deny ourselves. It means when we want something that he doesn't want, we deny ourselves that thing. That's very difficult to do. He didn't say it would be easy. He just commands that we do it. So what is that? What would that be like today? Well, in in Western times... It would be like walking around with a noose around your neck. In modern times, it would be like walking around with maybe a needle sticking out of your arm and a sign that said uh, sodium, whatever they call that stuff, that kills you. Or maybe strapping an electric chair to your back and walking around with it. What kind of message would that give to people? It would say that you are dying. You're going to die. The cross was staring Philip directly in the face. And so understand what it means to bear one's cross, one's own cross in the world. This is what it means. If the heavenly father sent His only Son into the world to die on a cross, then the Son of God is in like manner sending His disciples into the world to die on their crosses. He's saying to them, go out into the world and die on your crosses. Take the gospel and die on your crosses. He says in Luke 14, verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Not willing to bear the cross? Then you're not a disciple. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. This is an event that happens daily over and over again for the believer. We must not confuse our cross with that of Christ. His was a once for all cross for the atonement and sacrifice for sin. Ours is a daily cost of being his disciple. That's the cost. If you're going to follow Jesus... You must die daily. 
in so many different ways. And we're not, we're not really very good at that many times. We find ourselves wanting to climb down from our cross. This is why the Apostle Paul said, mortify the deeds of the flesh. Kill the deeds of the flesh. Die to those things. Romans 6, you're dead. You died with Christ. Now carry your cross and kill yourself to those things daily. It is the exercise of putting to death our selfish desires and ambitions The ambitions of our old sinful nature, our old sinful self. Paul speaks of this reality in Colossians 3. When he says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you. And then he names some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Over and over, these things come about. There are all kinds of things that we run into every day where we must, when we must Consider ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God. And the only way we can do that is to deny ourselves and die on our cross. I remember when I was first saved, there was a guy out in California. It seems like all these things happen in California. There's a guy out in California who literally carried a cross around, wore a white robe and carried a cross around with him everywhere he went, over his shoulder. Just dragged it around everywhere. Is that what it means? We we know that that's not what it means. It's an inner thing. It's us looking into our hearts and seeing what's really there and saying, "No, I'm dead to that. I I die to that. Lord, Lord, help me to die afresh to that today." And those things that plague us over and over again, we kill ourselves over and over again to them. This was not a new concept to those who truly followed Jesus. Jesus had taught that those who followed him would have to deny themselves and those that were not willing to lose their lives for the sake of Christ would not have life. Listen to what he says. Matthew chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. Whoever does not take his, take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If we're not willing to die on our cross, then we can't claim Christ as our own. We're not worthy to. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Part of dying is losing your life. We say we we use that terminology sometimes. Well, this person lost their life in a car accident. Or this person lost their life to cancer. What we really mean, what we really mean is they died. They were killed. And Jesus said, if you, if you save your life, if you live just for your life now, you won't have life in eternity. 
But if you lose it now, for his sake, you find it in him. John MacArthur, speaking of ones bearing their cross, writes, It is God-centered, not man-centered. Calls for self-abasement, not self-love. Self-sacrifice, not self-fulfillment. And it is spiritually focused, not psychologically motivated. Those who respond to it willingly submit everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means everything. You know what the truth is? I, I don't really own anything. I say I do. I say I own a house, but I don't really own it. The bank owns it. I have... I have some vehicles. I say these are my vehicles. I own these vehicles, but I don't really own them. I have a family. Children, grandchildren. And I can say these are mine. But they're not really mine. You see, everything that I have belongs to someone else. It belongs to Christ. And you're, and you're in the same situation. Everything you have. You can't hold anything With a grip in your hand that does not belong to him. So the best way to live is to just open your hand and say, Lord, you gave all this to me. It's really yours. I'll enjoy it as long as you let me keep it. And many times he lets you keep it. Sometimes he doesn't. But he's always good in what he does. We know that this was the mindset of the early disciples from John chapter 11 verse 16. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us go with him that we may die with him. They they understood the concept of the cross. That it meant death. And at least... From from that point, they understood that Jesus was going to die at Jerusalem. Let's go die with him. Of course, we know that that wasn't God's plan. But thousands of martyrs through history have been willing to go the ultimate distance and embrace the cross for the sake of the gospel. Many who've lost their lives as a result. When the early missionaries sailed to the the islands of the New Hebrides, which is now Vanuatu, they were preparing to to get off the ship and go to, to the island. They told them, if you go over there, you're going to die. These people are cannibals. And they said, we died before we ever left England. They knew the cost. You see, outlook determines outcome. Our thinking and attitude will be that which determines our result. Dying daily to self and worldly evils speaks of the willingness to be the disciple that follows Christ. The follower desires to satisfy, be satisfied with Christ rather than Self. Now I might add, 
that we do this as poorly as they did. And I've listed some scriptures there where the disciples were very, very did it this very poorly, dying to self. They argued with one another. They wanted to be better than the other. What about this man? What are you going to do with him? What about me? Can I sit next to you on your throne? Over and over again, it was it was their constant self rising up. And I got a feeling that you and I are no different. Must die to self and self-interest. Number two, it means being a disciple of following Jesus means that Christ is above everything and becomes the dearest person to us. He's above everything. This was Jesus teaching in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? Does that mean I have to hate my family in order to follow Christ? Yes, it does. It means that your love for Christ has to be so front and center, so foremost, that it appears like hate to others. It means that Christ comes before your family member. Now, we all love our spouses and we all love our children. But there have been many, many Christians who have been, who have been given the ultimatum to choose between a family member or Christ. John Bunyan sat 12 years in a prison cell. His wife begged him to sign the license. He could not. Many Christians have gone to prison and been separated from their families. Many Christians have watched their families killed as a result that they would not renounce Christ as their own. Many have lost family members simply because they became Christians. I met a man from Jordan. They're just over from Israel. A Jordanian whose family absolutely kicked him out and ostracized him because he became a Christian. Our relationship with Christ is to be above all other human relationships. John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Nobody likes to be hated. 
Nobody likes to be treated badly. And yet Jesus said, if you're treated badly for my sake, if you're abused, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad. Because you have just, you have just been given a great treasure from heaven. Matthew chapter 10, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. If it, it is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? That's why I say I think we're, I think the more we stand for Christ in this evil generation we live in, the more we're going to experience those kinds of things. Now, there are some other scriptural things that come with following Christ, and I have them there just in uh, in brief with some... I'll come back, because I'm, I'm out of time. I'll come back next week and start there. Um, and I'll pick up in the notes, I'll pick up right there where I left off <clears throat> with a bit of a... With a bit of an intro just to bring us back to where we are right now. So I'm going to stop right there. I just want you to know that uh, the suffering that comes with following Christ is has far greater rewards than, than the pain that we endure. And whatever suffering comes now, the weight of glory then... We'll outweigh it till we'll look back and say that suffering was nothing. So stay faithful. Continue to follow the Lord. And He will, He will be faithful to you. A couple of announcements before I turn it back over to Scott. For the family prayer. Um, we will begin FIT on September 12th at 9, at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, uh, beginning September 12th. And we'll be on chapter 11 of Behold Your God, Weight of Majesty that we were in before we, before we broke. <coughs> so invite you all to come. Uh, if you if you haven't been to FIT before, it is a sort of a open forum teaching time, um, and we have the book. If you if you would like to know what it is and, you, and you'd like to join in, come and see me. Make sure that you know what to get so that you can join. Uh, Bob, our band of brothers will begin on September 12th as well at 5 p.m. in the upper room. Ladies will be the next week on the 19th in that same place. Also, there is uh, coming up a Common Slaves Combined Worship Service. It will be at Kwamba Baptist Church uh, in uh, Kwamba. Uh, Dr. Ardell Kennedy will be the speaker of that evening. And he will be preaching on the parable of the unforgiving servant. Fall Conference, the, the, the Common Slaves Fall Conference will be this year, be on October 29th. And it, it will be on the doctrines of grace. That'll be a great conference to go to. That's on October 29th from 8.30 a.m. to 4.30 
p.m. at Life Spring Church in Crosby. <clears throat> I am definitely planning to go to that. Uh, so, if you if you're interested, let me know. I think that's all the announcements that I have, unless there's something I'm forgetting. Okay, we want to pray. Uh, Scott, you can come on. We, we want to remember in prayer here, we want to remember Matthias uh, Bazan.